0: This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on 9 to Noon to help you navigate family life. Our guest now, one of Australia's foremost parenting experts, known as the Queen of Common Sense. We've talked with Maggie Dent a couple of times now, particularly about raising boys and communicating with boys. She's had a bit of practice with her own four sons. Maggie's a former teacher and counsellor, host of the ABC podcast Parental as Anything, and her latest book is called Parental as Anything Toddlers to Tweens. We welcome your questions to Maggie. Text them on 2101, email them noon at rnz.co.nz, or tweet us at 9 noon. But to start us off, We thought we'd begin with some of the questions that Maggie is most commonly asked. Maggie, welcome back. Thanks again for your time. Uh, Hi, Catherine. Lovely. Lovely to be able to come and chat across the ditch. It is. And uh, in China, they've taken quite a um, hard line on screen time. We were just hearing in our tech commentator it's being limited to three hours a week and it's being enforced by means that would not be welcomed in your country or mine <laughs> so in the absence of being able to do this by fit how long should we be allowing the kids on screens and how do we approach the whole thing
1: i think it's also about years um Catherine, and that's really the very first one is the first five years of life Um, Our children are meant to be interacting with the real world through all of their senses, being physically active and negotiating and talking and experiencing things called play without a device at all, except I'm still a bit of a fan of the good old TV. So when we're talking screens, I really put TV in a different box because um, we know that a lot of children keep moving around. And also, then um, they're not at risk of, of, you know, seeing stuff that we don't want them to see. So let's look at, let's look at kind of five plus, and that's up to say primary. What we need to negotiate—it's not so much how much time; it's what are they doing, and that's really that balance because schools use so many more screens now. So we can't just go, oh, look, two hours a day, but they've already done three hours at school. But there is some great stuff in the digital space. So again. Are they learning? And is it constructive? And we know that during pandemics and lockdowns, helping our kids keep connected in the digital space has been, like, seriously important. So I think that's what parents need to do. Are they safe online? And are they using it in a way that, um, you know, is enhancing their growth and development? So that's another really important one. And then in the adolescent years, it's a whole different ballgame again, because, you know, it you know they've already got a smartphone by then. So that phone is now what we're looking at. Golly, what is being displaced in adolescent years that used to be there? And so we're hearing from uh, t- coaches of teens that there are young people, 14 to 16, who are um, unable to go into a coffee shop and order a coffee or a milkshake or something because they just haven't got the social skills of real conversation and things. So it's a really big discussion um, about time, what is safe, and seriously, we're seeing some serious damage online, and what else are they doing in their life um, as a human
0: being. So you can't necessarily give an exact time It's more about how it is working with what their rounded, healthy life should be. Uh, Absolutely. And is this a conversation, like, how does the conversation go? And again, this is different from when they're younger, and let's face it, you're pretty much the boss, uh, to when they're older and you're having to do and, and wanting to do more negotiation. I mean, what are the conversations you can have at different ages?
1: Yeah, look, a really good one. And it is about us working with our kids. So one of the key aspects I want parents to get used to doing is um, what are we modelling for our kids to with our own phones? So I really recommend that part of that conversation is when we're on our phone, our kids need to know what are you doing? So you need to say, look, I'm just on because I'm ordering your school lunches or I'm on WhatsApp finding out what time your soccer game or your netball game is, or I'm I'm actually booking a doctor's appointment, right? They need to see what we do constructively because otherwise they can assume what we're doing is, is, you know, checking um, Insta apps and, you know, scrolling through Facebook or something. So that's a really important one in that initial conversation. And then our job is to sit down and, again, talk about the security because that's a really big one and also what's appropriate behavior online and these are conversations parents kind of sometimes let slip through because they assume our kids are going to behave okay so that's the second one now one of the big ones is boys and gaming because they are actually doing what boys are biologically wired to do in a virtual world you know which probably means there's less trips to the ed However, what we're hearing is that sometimes our boys get into the character that they are in the game. And so some of their language and some of their behaviour can actually take them to the dark side. And so we've actually had lots and lots of parents concerned about that. But I think we need to sit down. I have a sort of 10 point agreement I recommend for, you know, boys sort of 12 upwards. And that's where we sit down and say, okay, so if you're wanting to be able to use your recreation time, remember that's the language, recreation time online, it probably needs to be after you've done anything you need to do on homework. <laughs> oh, no, really? So in other words, we put a priority around your usage. And then secondly, okay, so how about we keep an eye on your school grades? You're also making sure you're hanging out in real time with young people or friends. Are you you know, physically active, playing sport, playing music? Yeah, are you doing your chores? And what do you like when I come to ask you to get off? Because we have sort of a rough time frame that's okay. And that's the really big
0: conversations we keep happening. So that is a negotiated contract. And the boys are the really yeah. good negotiators, aren't they? Um oh, in particular. Golly. Can I give a tip? Can Catherine on,
1: you know, say we've given them um so a rough time frame to muck around before it's time to get ready for bed, because we want them off an hour before bed at least, because that can impact the melatonin in the brain with the blue light. So that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Secondly, we come in and if it's gaming, and sometimes girls are really busy at creative things as well, you're just going to come in and say, right off. We double check if they finish that level, have they finished what they're actually doing? And so we might come in like 10 or 15 minutes before a rough time frame and say, how's it going? You know, you're nearly due to come off. Are you gonna finish that level? And if you've got a boy that's been a bit narky about coming off, you might sit down next to him and go, gosh, see where, oh, my golly, look where you're at. (laughs) So what we do is kind of connect with where their joy is, and then we might offer a suggestion that has something of dopamine in that's a feel-good. So come on, let's come out, I'll I'll cook you a toasted sandwich, or let's go out and we'll um, hang around and, you know, cook popcorn. We'll do something that's actually okay, but you, you can't expect them to come off a really fun activity and do more homework.
0: Great strategizing, thank you. And it's look, it's like the old-fashioned bedtime in, in linear TV, isn't it? You start 15, exactly. 20 minutes before you're eventually going to eject them out of the room. Yes, but you start the softening bride. up process. And it's really wise also to respect that they are engaged in something so... Again, um, get to a point where I'd there's I'd hate a... it if
1: anyone came and yeah. took my murder mystery book off me when I'm in the midst of it, so I go. really
0: get that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Now, let's talk about sleep, which is related. Um, and sleep at different ages and um, stages. What's your advice on, on sleep through the years with uh, younger children? And then, again, we'll talk about the teens and the tweens.
1: Okay, so what we actually need for our little ones to fall asleep is they actually have to feel safe and secure in their little bodies and their little minds and their little hearts. And um, we've kind of been conditioned in our modern world and modern parenting that children should just be able to transition into their bed when we're ready for them to do so and stay there. But what we know from traditional cultures is that um, a lot of co-sleeping happens with families. Very rarely was a child ever alone in a room That's like kind of a new modern concept. So with little ones, it can take absolutely ages, particularly for our more sensitive kids, Catherine, to be brave enough to sleep in their own room. So one of the things that we can work towards um, is recognising, particularly around two to three, they may have even been quite good sleepers and they can regress. Um, I've been told by a a paediatric neuroscientist that, as they're exploring the world around them at night, their brain can be quite active in the going to sleep stage because it like revisits the whole day. So if you sit with a little one and, and, and actually have a bit of a chat about what they've done during the day, you know, you can actually decompress the day before they try and fall asleep. So that's one thing that can help. Second is that there are some children that actually still need to have a grown up beside them as they fall asleep because they're not quite emotionally mature enough or don't feel safe enough to do it by themselves. So again, we can do that or we can let them fall asleep in our bed and pop them back in their bed. But also they'll tend to come and want to sleep in with their big safe grown-ups when the world around them doesn't feel safe. So we've been noticing a lot of little ones returning to mum and dad's bed or mum's bed, dad's bed um, in this pandemic because they're picking up the angst and the anxiety in the world and it's making them a little frightened. So again, there are some of those sorts of things we need to recognise that it would be convenient for us. <laughs> However, it's quite developmentally normal for our sensitive children. So one of my tips is um, that whoever, whichever child is coming to the man, main bedroom, maybe one of the parents, if you've got two, can go and sleep in their bed. So at least one parent every second night is getting a good night's sleep rather than tossing around and no one's sleeping well. Good
0: advice. And again, just to link back to the... the um older kids and um, yep. the sort of nexus between their um, blue light activity and, yep. and, and their evening activity. Yeah. We're back not in the just same... that,
1: um, Catherine, there's one other thing about the melatonin level. So we can't just blame the screen, but we have to sort of say the other thing we need for it to be balanced is it needs to have natural sunlight. So that's the other thing about green and screen is you can't always blame the screen because what has it displaced... And it's, that's why our kids need to be outside. Thank goodness spring is coming, isn't it? Um, because it's, it's also about their eyeballs and the fact that um, they, they need to run around and be outside yeah. because their eyeballs are getting strengthened by the different visual distances. And we've now had a massive increase in myopia. Yes. So when we're aware of these things, we can see why. And it makes common sense. But really, we know Mother Nature has a natural tendency to calm us all down. And that is another thing that we want for our kids, don't we, before we try the bedtime routine at any level.
0: We weren't meant to stay in the cave all day and half the night. (laughs) It is interesting, though, with lockdown, though, and I'm sure you're finding this as well, that... um, uh, the, the, yeah. they can creep later and later at night and sleep in longer and longer, which many teens yeah. would naturally do anyway if we didn't make them get up no, and go No, it's to actually school.
1: been a good thing yeah. because that time they normally commute to school now, if that's the, they're getting that sleep time, we should be having more agreeable teens.
0: <laughs> yeah, but if they're going <laughs> to bed later and later, that's, yeah, that's, yep. that's the yeah. challenge we as We well. do still need our parents
1: to put the boundaries in place. I think your most powerful tool is, is the Wi-Fi um you know that there is a time and maybe everybody including mum and dad need to because sometimes when we're stressed we do escapism don't we we dive into a Netflix series and before you know it you know it could be two o'clock in the morning and you know and you go oh my goodness you know I've escaped too much in an unhealthy way because you, then you've got to get up at five thirty with a toddler in the morning and you're not going to have much sleep to be a happy parent
0: a couple of questions coming in before we pick up. Can you please yep. ask about reading on devices at night? My daughter reads avidly both books and online. Should I limit her to books only at night? This is hard as she wants to read online.
1: Look, it's that it's space again. What are the, what are, just pretend it's screen time. So how much has she had? Has she been outside in the fresh air? The fact that she's wanting to read, let's celebrate that. And the hour before bedtime, I just think you follow with those and and I would it would be okay. But it would be great if she could get used to the art of that book holding in your hands that someday you can sit in a bath with. You can't sit in a bath with your tablet because it could fall in the water. You know, there's something about turning pages. That's an experience that gets anchored in our psyche. I'd, if you can, maybe she can do a little bit of both, but I wouldn't be worried about that. I'd celebrate it. <laughs> I bet there's a lot of parents out there that would love their kid to be that keen to
0: read. I'm wondering about the order, maybe a little bit online, but then finish with the book.
1: Does that make sense? That would be great. Yeah, Mm. no, she could be a queen of common sense, Catherine.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's so easy talking about what other people have to do. Trust me, Maggie. Um, (laughs) uh, Now, this is an anxiety question I want to bring in, actually, because it's so pertinent to so many working with children at the moment. Here we are in a pandemic and, you know, adjusting to all sorts of other things. Uh, I work with primary-age children in Christchurch. Many of our children have high levels of anxiety, especially those who were at important developmental stages during the earthquakes, which is a decade ago now, Maggie. We're finding many primary-age children are becoming school-averse due to anxiety. How can we work with them and their parents to help them work through this?
1: That's great. And it is one of those things that this is exactly what um, the impact of a long-term a trauma over time so what it means is that the children that were within that have we got what we call a hypersensitivity or hyper vigilance because their amygdala was on I mean we know that how many of the aftershocks went on for however many years so it wasn't just a narrow one so that is absolutely valid and it's absolutely normal so what we need to do is look at what is it that a parent can do that can what we call get the parasympathetic nervous system kicking in, which is the rest and digest one. So it's just sometimes introducing simple strategies of, um, you know, a lot more three lovely big breaths Um, around and around the garden in their hands, standing out and breathing in the sunshine. In other words, little pockets of rest can really help that nervous system get down and have more energy in it. But that aversion to the school environment, again, the number one thing is human connectedness and human, you know, like relational safety. So it's about if the teacher can really be mindful, you know, they've got a whole lot of them that probably went through the same thing, they're also um you know they're able to create a safer net they are trying to strive to meet those needs and lastly it's can we do role play with our kids depending on what age they are so that they're actually heading off ready to call out to their friends and so we set them up to look forward to some aspects of that interaction because sometimes they just go oh, it's all too hard so we look forward to who's the friend you're looking forward to, where you're going to sit for lunch, what games might you play? Have you tried this one? And so we shift their mind away from worry. And, and that's easy to do for us because we're growing up. Children can get stuck in the catastrophic thinking loops. And there are some beauty strategies and mindfulness that can help with that. And I'm absolutely sure that the school is working with that in the school environment, It'd be great to get some tips home to parents.
0: This is from Kelly and I love it. Kia ora. My five-year-old set her bed up on the floor of my bedroom last night and said she's coming for a sleepover. Of course, she was in my bed when I went to bed. <laughs> but what <laughs> love a lovely, it. lovely love sort it. of transitional idea that you can have a sleepover in mum's room.
1: But <laughs> I really love it. That's a yeah. really good idea. <laughs>
0: Maggie, I want to talk a little bit about homework because this is such a subject of discussion in normal times. But again, when we're dealing with uh, lockdowns and stuff and having to adapt to disrupted schooling, what's your, what's your your what are your thoughts in normal times, first of all? And then what do we need to just get real about with what we're dealing with right now?
1: All right, so well, I'm a bit of an anti-homework queen. Um, and even in high school, what I decided was um, I wouldn't set... Um, written tasks at home, uh, partly because I noticed that some children were performing brilliantly when it went home and really terrible in class, which meant mum or dad were doing it. And what I actually focused on was using the classroom environment to actually do as much work as possible. They just had to read a text at home. Um, Now, I am going to say over a period of time, they learnt to appreciate being made to work in class, but that's a bit of a novelty. So we go back to primary school. And there isn't really very little research that shows that homework actually improves educational outcome overall. And that's a really big shift because sometimes the pressure is coming from parents. Sometimes it's coming from schools. So I'm going to just basically say that depending on your child, some of our children have special needs, additional needs, and they can't complete all their classwork or their work in class that's a little bit different than giving you a keep you busy worksheet to do at home because the school has a policy about it. So I have been to so many um, really high quality primary schools now that have no homework policy except reading. And so what it's done is taken off the pressure of filling in that space that some children take for a 20 minute task, some children take an hour, hour and a half. And some of our children are driven by perfectionism and they'll do it over and over again so it removes all of that pressure and says the only thing we want you to focus on is is your reading and in a way it's a way of lifting their overall literacy level so that's the that's the option that I would love to go for so if you've got kids who are worried if it's a school policy I'm going to give you one other tip that I worked with and that is you only you ask the teacher how long are are your expectations around homework if it's 20 minutes you put a timer on and that's it. Your child's done in 20 minutes. Um, And regardless of how much they do, they need to see that that is what is possible for 20 minutes. You're not giving up an hour after school because our kids are tired after school, Catherine. So tired brains don't learn well. Hmm. Stress brains don't learn well. So it's like a complete waste. What we want our kids is to get home, have some serious fun, engage with their loved ones and kids around, restore themselves and be ready for the next day's learning the next day rather than absolutely starting to hate homework and that means they start to hate formal learning and that is a really difficult mindset
0: to shift. I'm going to ask you to work a miracle and talk about a topic in about one minute to 90 seconds but you've mentioned play several times today (laughs) uh, in different contexts and how important it is and there's just one question here that again might pertain to the enforced play that parents and kids are having at home right now, yep. <laughs> uh, perhaps sometimes instead of, of, of formal schooling and say, Lovey, that's all good. My child won't play on their own. I'm a sole parent. I just don't have time to play with her all the time. How can I encourage her to be more independent?
1: Oh, look, it, it is a really difficult one because guess what? It's become a habit. You're the only other play person in the house. So, my suggestion is that you can start her with an activity and just, I'm going to sit by and watch you and gradually step back just a little bit but stay watching her and nod at her and smile at her because you've got to create a new habit and at the moment you are the play thing. So sometimes it's encouraging. I'm not sure how old she was. What was she, Catherine? it's creative and imaginary play yeah get her to imagine playing with some of her toys and before you know it she'll be off in the imaginary world girls
0: are amazing in that space what a great idea make use of that imaginary friend thank you maggie so appreciate it come back again maggie dent her abc podcast is parental as anything her latest book is also parental as anything toddlers to tweens